Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest is a, is a real, how should I put, it's one of the Top Gun people. I don't mean, you know, flying fighter jets, but when it comes to Amazon business, you definitely want to hear from her. She's a lifelong entrepreneur, a former Amazonian, and after leaving Amazon, started a company and sold in 18 months and now in, uh, in the business still, um, she's very much in home fashion and shoes categories and uh, also an adventure travel enthusiast. So with that, uh, everybody, meet my guest, uh, Danny. Danny May, welcome to the show, Danny. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, pleasure to be here, Nick. Oh, it's, uh, I am so looking forward to our conversation. I have a lot to ask you. So uh, when you and I talked, I asked you one question and you gave me a two-word answer. So tell me something that you are very good at that leads to high conversion. I am very good at first impressions. So tell me what that means. Because obviously, first of all, you know, this, uh, I know a few Amazon people uh, got to know them. You guys speak a very different language, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so when you say first impression, uh, tell us what you what you really mean. <laughs> yeah. So actually, the, it's not specifically an Amazon term, but it's it's that so what moment. Um, so you you've got a, a product, you've got a brand. Um, it may have been. Uh, driven through a personalization of some kind, the customers landed on your product detail page. And then what? Um, and that's really what I call the first impression. Um, ever, there's so much other content that a customer could click on. They click on yours. And then what makes them decide to stay? It has to be something really clearly delivered um, that uh, is is captured in that first impression, because then from there, you don't want many more clicks um, or your conversion is going to go down. So yeah. that first impression matters. So what makes you good at first impressions? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things um, to the detail page. Um, at Amazon, I could tell you there's no less than a dozen teams working on uh, functions across that one page. And everything that's provided to someone selling on Amazon, the things that you can change, add, uh, add a, de- a plus detail content, uh, anything on there is very intentional because it all leads to higher conversion rate. So I look at things like its title. Um, I mean, the title itself, Nick, I'm sure you've seen where there's everything under the sun added into a title. Um, every single thing you could possibly say about it. It's, it's uh, new, it's on sale, it's wood, it's color, whatever those things are, uh, 48, uh, you know, itch, you know, DPI, this is, these are areas of, uh, you know, that I'm not actually working in with is electronics, but, um, I see titles for everything that, 
don't tell me a whole lot. Um, so I'm not really sure when I get there, do I trust that product? Um, and that's part of the first impression. It's a, it, do you trust it? Do you believe that all those things are actually happening? Um, and so that's one of the, the first pieces I look at. So I want to ask you something. So I'm, uh, as someone who, who knows this business very well, this business being what works on Amazon, because you've done this. Um, my philosophy is this. When somebody does a search and you come up, other than the sponsored listings, because I mean, obviously everybody pay, pays for the clicks and you show up based on your bidding for the sponsor. So that's okay. But the goal is to get ranked organically, right? So you come up organic. So when people are looking at search results, they are looking at two things, your title and your picture, right? So that's the basis of them saying, okay, this may be something I want to look at more. Obviously, Amazon provides more information. Now you see the flags for the seller's country and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's the title and the picture. Once you click, now you are on the product page, you have everything else. My philosophy is, and I may be wrong, title is not as important on the product page as it is when they are looking at the search results. Is that correct? I think once you're on the product page, the um, shopper will compare. Like, are all those things that I read in the title delivering in the bullet points or in the description? Um, so there's there's a, a sense of, and that's what I'm talking about, where the consumer trust lives. Um, do I believe that what I clicked on is delivering it? Um, yes. So confirmation. They're looking for confirmation. Yes, absolutely. And and there should be within the imagery a feeling, like something that that ex- it not a um, depending on what the product type is, but not something that might be so uh, obvious. Something a little unexpected. Something like, oh, this is different about this company or this product that is um, a little more interesting than what you would normally see. Now, if if you're buying batteries, that probably doesn't matter so much. Sure. But there, yeah. But there are certain categories where that's incredibly uh, relevant. Um, you know, why choose this black T-shirt over this black T-shirt? Um, yeah. So. Um- Going back to first impression, so uh, what I'm hearing is the the buyers will be looking at confirming what they saw in the search results. And the way they are doing it, I heard you mention imagery. So your images, they are the drivers, right, on the the buying decision? Absolutely. Yeah, you validate their choice like make it very obvious why that what you put out there is real and then give them something that um, is delightful um, in the imagery, uh, something a little unexpected also to stand out. But yes. So give us some a, examples of what makes imagery delightful. Yeah. I think when you see the product in the wild, I call it um, when you see it actually in use, or if you have something that is a, 
you know, if it's home product, um, actually showing it in a, in the right setting, if it's, uh, a, an apparel or any type of product you want to touch and feel seeing it in motion. Um, and it could be something in content that is as, as, um, lovely and as simple as someone that you have, uh, that, you know, or, or an influencer, or it could be something that is, is more of a, you know, a actual formal shoot. Um, but there's always uh, a way to make it a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I do with my clients is uh, we create, we kind of storyboard the images. Yeah. Now we decide what will be the images and, and what you mentioned product being in use, we call them use cases. So have at least three different use case photos uh, that are being used by different people in different circumstances, if it's clothing or a home product or whatever the case may be. So people get an idea because there may be uh, even business use, you know, in some cases for some products. So uh, showing that the other ones that I, packaging is important, especially if it's um, something consumable somehow, uh, showing the ingredients, label, you know, all the, the the counts of different ingredients that they're whatever the amount is. So those things. So that goes to I, I assume trust, right? Absolutely, that definitely goes into trust. And a lot of times, it's hard to find, um, especially in CPG products, um, that that information down as you scroll the detailed page. If you have it as an image, people could just immediately identify that, zoom in on it, read it quickly, and then move move on. Yeah, uh, yeah almost like infographic images, right? That's why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it's and it's so important to think about when you're when you're shopping and you're looking at, um, I call it kind of a gallery of product page. Like it's all the different types of products you might have been searching for that hover that second. So I love to see, depending on the product that still image of, of what the product is very nicely, clearly photographed, um, and then show what is the second most important thing for people to know? Is it, how do you use it? Is it, how does it look when it's, when it's worn? Um, how, what is the nutritional value? You know, whatever, whatever that absolute second thing you want them to see um, as that second image for the hover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, there is, I advocate this all the time. So especially on the main product image, but as a general uh, theme, I always say, you know, put something in the picture that I call it the image theme that kind of represents the brand. I don't, I'm not talking about logo. Like for example, right. um, well, I'm, we're working with a client right now. Uh, they sell, um, they sell, uh, Floor coating, epoxy coating, so that mm-hmm. you can make your garage floor from looking real dirty to really sparkly and uh, and clean. So, but it's it's a protection uh, for the floor. So uh, I said, well, create a theme like uh, one of those medieval shields uh, that that represents protection. So I said, make that like a theme. So it's like almost like a seal of approval on every picture you have. So it sits somewhere in the corner. This is like, this is us. This is our product. So building an image theme like that into a a picture 
and a series of pictures. And by the way, that theme would then carry throughout all the pictures across the board, different yeah. versions of it. Um, I am often pushed back. See, why do we need that? You know, we don't see that with anybody else. So as an Amazon person, is that beneficial? Does it make the picture stand out? Does it violate any Amazon policies or anything like that? What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll start with the policy piece first. Um, it does not violate a policy if there's not, um, if it's a signal, and which when I say signal, um, for this example, the, the shield and protection, or if you're buying something that's like, you know, baby laundry detergent that's fragrance free, you're usually going to see it in a white or a, a pale, a soft pastel color. These are signals to a customer that says, oh, I recognize this, um, this look or this, uh, this emoji or a symbol or whatever. And that means something to me because it's part of, um, you know, the, the mark of our society, what we've been brought up with. Absolutely fantastic. If the signal that you're using doesn't make a, a claim that you'd actually have to be certified for, mm -hmm. then totally fine. Doesn't validate any policies at all. Um, if there's symbols that you want to add, like if you're buying a coffee machine and you want specialty coffee association symbol, you'd have to have obviously the validation sure. of that. Um, but I think bringing that into your, your brand super beneficial um, and always keeping that mark in a consistent place on the imagery also very beneficial um, not moving it around from one image to another because as customers scroll quickly if something's a little bit off on a symbol like that or a signal to them uh, you know it causes kind of like a what why is this change what's different um, and you don't want to you want them to pause and think, oh, we're different, but you don't want them to think that you're different because uh, of, of something like, you know, just to touch off either. Great. You know, I'm going to reference this episode to everybody I work with because you cannot believe, I advocate, I say to them, look, guys, look, let me do this for you. Just go search, just go search, whatever the search term is for your product. Now look at everything that comes up. Now imagine... This picture, and of course, the ones that show up at the top, they've achieved the top ranking. So clearly they're successful. They're getting the order flow. But you are competing against this guy. And if you are lucky enough to show up right next to them, why would they click on yours? It's not because of the title. It's yeah. going to be how the picture. And imagine having a differentiator in the picture. That yeah, makes a big difference. It increases your click-through rate. And then, of course, it builds confidence. And I, I often get a pushback. The reason is, well, not, we, we don't see this anywhere. Nobody does this. <laughs> Excuse me. You know, you're not going to be successful by doing what everybody else absolutely. does, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. so I'm so glad you confirmed. I was actually nervous waiting to see what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, this is uh, this is great. So, uh, so pictures obviously pictures are important. So let's talk about the bullets. Now, how important are the bullets, and what should be the theme of the bullets? Yeah, I think they need to be very simple and and clear. Um, there are some things you might need to explain. 
Um, but for example, uh, I'll use a, a brand that I've, I've worked with in the past and they have ingredients um, that they list, but they want to talk about why these are healthy benefits. Um, and they put that all into the bullets. And that's not to me the right place for that information. It's wonderful to highlight wellness benefits. Um, you know, studies show increases uh, quality of sleep or, or things like that. Um, but that's where I believe the A plus detailed content comes into um, uh, being critical is when you have something more complex to explain, do so in imagery and the short paragraphs that show, not just tell. I see. So don't use the bullets as the features and benefits area. Instead, build that into the imagery. Yes. And I think I yeah. What do you yeah. do with the bullets? What is the best way to utilize the bullets? I, I think you can highlight all of the topics you want to cover in the bullets, like the benefits, um, why us, are we a sustainable company, things things about about that, but don't make them into paragraphs. It's, um, you know, you don't want a consumer having to spend uh, 10 minutes reading your bullets. That's where I, I think when you have a lot to talk about, when you want to show a lot of things to somebody, that's where you bring you you rely on the peaking the interest scroll down to learn more i see okay so the, the the other concept that i advocate when building the bullets is to make an emotional connection between the product and the buyer yeah. by speaking to the experience they are going to have by using the product uh, so, for example, and also, by the way, in this, emphasize the positive. Uh, but, for example, um, looking to have an uninterrupted sleep, for example, for something. So, so that's that's not benefits. It's it's the the outcome. And of course, you know, anybody who keeps waking up in the middle of the night and they cannot really sleep and they wake up restless, somebody they see uninterrupted sleep. Uh, oh, that's a uh, that they're gonna look at. It. Right, so mm -hmm. that will make a connection. So um, rather than list the features and benefits, look for ways to have some kind of an emotional connection. Is that what do you say about that approach for building the book? I love that approach. Um, you know, the bullet bullet points are doing a couple of things in that their job. Right, they're validating the title, they're helping the search algorithm understand what you're about. Um, and yes, emotional connection is critical for conversion period. Um, people don't just buy a product, they buy a reason to buy a product. And, um, and that's where the bullet points can be um, very handy. And I think when you can deliver that and do it very clearly in one to two sentences max, you're, you're on the right track. And um, as far as the bullets, so thing, you know, Amazon always changes the rules. Uh, oh, so one of the things that uh, I mean, you know, I always tell people, guys, always expect the only constant is change, and they do this deliberately because by the time you figure out the rules, you know, everybody is now gaming the system. They need to come yeah. up with something different. So it's a it's a given. So um, until a few months ago, the general best use of the bullets 
was to capitalize a question right at the beginning and then continue the rest in lowercase. Uh, but I'm told now that's not accepted. Is, what is yeah, the they, yeah, they've, they've, they do change the rules quite a bit. Um, and capitalizing um, uh, in general in bullet points is, is frowned upon. Um, and, and Nick, have you ever experienced a seller where they don't ever want to touch their product detail page again because they made a change once and got like their listing was removed. Mm -hmm. um, it usually happens in those bullet points. And so wow. um, you're probably familiar too with people not, not ever wanting to touch them again. Um, but it's critical that you do um, because they, they do change those rules. And it's, it's, I, I don't know, because even when I worked there, they wouldn't tell internal people at Amazon what the search, all the search algorithms that go into things. But I know that the bullet points are a critical piece of it. Um, so you always have to be updating it, but you can't be afraid. Yeah. Well, how do you balance that? Right. How do you balance doing it confidently? It becomes stale. And then, you know, there is also new trends coming out. So you need to be always uh, tweaking things. So uh, we'll get to the analytics aspect of it in a, in a minute, but I want to really dissect the product page. So uh, so we, we've covered the title, the pictures, and the bullets, and the next one is the description, right? Yes. So, But description gets replaced by A-plus pages. Yes. Um, it used to be the description was very much at the top of the product detail page, and now it's all the way at the bottom. Um, and so I look at the description just as like a, a search function, like it's a little more catnip for your the search to to know more about you. Um, but A plus detail is really where um, the meat happens, and there's a lot of really large brands that don't do a good job with that. Um, a lot of people will say, "Oh, A plus, you know, I have to do all this content. I I don't have you know the resources for that." And I look at, you know, there's built-in things there like charts. You can make your own comparison. Um, it doesn't have to be the most um, highly evolved uh, photo shoot imagery, fully retouched and all of that. Um, there's a lot of tools in there that you can use simply by typing them in. Um, and, and then I see, uh, you know, companies that do an amazing job with A plus detail pages and they do have resources, but also I see ones that don't. Um, so really I think one thing Amazon does a great job with is they arm you um, as a, a, if you know how to use it, um, they arm you with the tools to do a great A plus detail page and your description, although it's at the very, very bottom now um, doesn't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. So, uh, a plus pages replace the description, right? Description yeah. doesn't show up if there is A plus. So uh, the other thing that I, I don't really to to this day, I don't have a straight answer. You know, people heavily advocate. No, no, this is how it is. First of all, the easy one: A plus pages don't get indexed by Amazon algorithm, right? Um, not necessarily. Uh, really. So the, 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 what I mentioned about king in the text, um, one of the best features of A-plus detail content is the comparison that you can control. So you can either take control of how you want your product compared against your other products, 
you know, potentially, but they, the customer can directly click on those, keep them involved in your own brand's loop versus um, what Amazon will do is, uh, you know, people who looked at this also looked at or um, comparison features. Those are going to come into your page regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on, do you want to control that or would you rather Amazon control that? Sure. Um, and A plus detail content will appear above those algorithms. I mean, those, those uh, personalization um, pieces. Um, and so I think that actually does get indexed um, because it's text. Imagery, it's more difficult. Um, but if you, you can put uh, a comparison piece together that you're saying here are the bullet points that matter and they're all in text that you're inputting into that content, uh, it, it's in what I've seen almost a training um, for Amazon's own you know, personalized widgets to look at because um, it doesn't want to show something below that that doesn't match what you're, the story you're trying to tell. It'll look... Um, inconsistent to the customer. So the text content in the A plus pages get indexed. Yes. Okay. This is new. I did not, because every, uh, all the time, what I heard was A plus pages don't get indexed, but the images, but the, that page gets indexed by Google. So it's useful to drive external traffic. And the other thing I heard is, the alt tags for images in the A plus content, they get picked up also by they Google. They do. Yeah, for Google, for sure. For Amazon, it's not going to be um, picked up from a search algorithm standpoint. It's going to be noticed by the personalization widgets. Um, and that's where you're, it's a different type of indexing, but it's, um, it's equally as relevant. Sure, yeah. And uh, the other one is the description. So how about somebody who doesn't have A-plus content? They have description. Does the description uh, field contents, they, do they get indexed by Amazon search? Oh, certainly, yeah. I, um, just because the placement has moved doesn't mean that it's not paid attention to. I think that um, it's, if you look at, and again, like I mentioned, uh, the search team doesn't, is not very transparent with even internal employees. But when I look at the things that I, I've tested myself, it's almost like the, the page is indexed top to bottom. Um, so for them to move description to the bottom, probably not as um, uh, weighted mm-hmm. as uh, other things like the bullet points and the title um, and uh, some of the other areas. But um, it's... It's still there. It's still being noticed. I see. Okay. So uh, even if somebody has A-plus pages, it's beneficial for them to put in the description uh, info because it will still get indexed. Yeah. Yeah. It'll still be, it'll still be noticed. And, um, you know, not having the expertise of exactly sure. how it's used or applied. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think in a way, too, sometimes Amazon has done things within seller seller's ability to try to um, help address uh, the excess, some of the excessive descriptions, um, knowing that it wasn't beneficial to the customer. And so I think that's part of the reason why they moved it. I see. I see. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see there's no need 
it becomes redundant, right? So yeah. same information. Okay, so let's now talk about uh, the success of the page. What is what is success on a product detail page look like? Yeah, I think the success on that page is that you get the add to cart right from the page. Um, real success means that the customer checks out with less than two more clicks. Um, the more they have to click around and look at your, here's your product. Oh, well, what did somebody else buy? Oh, let's go back and see what the other options are. Um, the, the more you didn't really make that, that first impression very clear. Um, and it's just a kind of typical e-com, the more clicks, the lower the conversion. Right. Period. So, so the success means that somebody clicks add to cart and then they check out. Yes. So when I buy stuff on Amazon, I'm never buying just one thing. So it's always a, a number of things. So it's naturally there are many clicks before I check out. So that's not the, really because of the product that I may have put added to the cart first. Uh, but uh, does that affect anything uh, or it's a conversion, right? Conversion is a conversion. No, I think, I mean, there's a, there's an add to cart. There's also the buy now button, which I really like um, so that you could just, um, you know, you want this and you can just, but you can continue to shop. I do think that the way that the cart is used with Amazon customers in many cases is that it becomes like a, like an ongoing shopping list or an ongoing wish list. Um, there's tons of things in the save for later. It's wonderful if your product's still in the save for later um, because it will drive uh, the what the customer comes back to on the homepage. Um, it's still sitting in the cart, so it's like continue shopping for, or we'll just go right back into your product detail page. Um, so it's always a good sign when people just keep it there too. Um, but still, like don't don't have them, but have them get it there. Have them put it in the cart. I didn't say that they necessarily, um, you know, have to just buy one, like they're only shopping for batteries that day. You know, it, it is a, a situation where you, you start a shopping process, you go back at three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, I want to get this too. Um, you know, you're laying in bed at night, surfing Amazon again. Um, so there, it's definitely a bundled shopping, but just, just get it in the cart somewhere. Yeah. So is there a benefit, uh, does Amazon measure that if somebody puts the item in a cart but they don't check out, but is it different than not putting it in a cart? And how is that measured? Absolutely. Um, so internally at a category level, um, we, we definitely look at that because we want to understand um, potential. You know, this kind of helps us understand demand. And that um, it may not be at necessarily an individual ASIN level, but I re recall when I was there having a, a really um, uh, important issue around a hot selling sneaker with a brand we had just recently um, uh, brought into the, the Amazon fold. It was a, they became a first party seller, so not so much marketplace, um, but they were on marketplace as well. And uh, and that's a whole different um, conversation for another day when you're competing with yeah. a brand and selling the same product. Uh, but uh, in this case, we were able to clearly see how many how much lost sales we had in a category because this was out of stock, 
and we couldn't get it back in for 30 days. And, um, and so, yes, absolutely. If something's just in the cart, we're looking at that. We're looking at lost conversion potential, um, mostly around out of stock. Um, the in-stock rate is uh, talked about every single day in that company. Um, and if somebody, something's in there and we have to post a message saying, we're not sure when we're going to get this product back, um, that's uh, a terrible thing. Um, that's, there's a special metric for that as well. Um, and so we always want to look at uh, what, what's sitting out there. So the information being available in, in Seller Central about, uh, oh, what do you call that first? A lost uh, in conversion? Is that what you call it? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think it's called lost conversion. Um, I believe that reporting is all based on the demand reporting. Um, that's, uh, it was in beta, uh, I think about a year ago, maybe two years ago. Um, but they've been coming quite a long way with the reporting for demand. Okay. So what is the best way to locate? So it's on, uh, demand reporting. Is that how they should look for it? Yeah. I mean, I think you can, there's a couple of different ways you can navigate. There's canned reports around that. Um, and even in the advertising section, if you are doing paid marketing, you're going to have some reporting that includes demand um, as well as creating a custom report. Okay. All right. Yeah. So um, I'm always looking for different ways to get a handle on numbers, so to speak. Uh, So the other question I have is I want to hear your take on conversion rates. So what is a, a conversion rate to benchmark against? I know this is different for every category, but can you share with us some of your what you would like to achieve as a seller? Certainly. Um, well, Amazon has a much higher conversion rate than a standalone website. Um, for me, uh, a standalone website, if it's if your conversion's below three percent, you're not truly profitable, and it's kind of like the just the general um, gauge I use. Um, with Amazon, and again, depending on category, if if you're what we call spear phishing, so you're you're on Amazon, you want to buy a picnic basket, and you are looking at two or three, and you pick one. Um, it's very specific. You just want that, or if you're just trying to get a vitamin, um, if you are in a category like that, your conversion is much higher. It could be in the you know in the twenties. If you are in a category like uh, a dress to wear to a wedding, um, that's a lot of looking. It's a lot of of search, and it could be you know a month in the making, and that conversion rate would be very very low. Um, usually around um, on a platform like Amazon with so many choices, probably closer to one um, it, on that particular you know what to wear to a wedding. Um, uh, category, wedding guest category. So it, it does span, I think, uh, on average across Amazon, um, you know, they're probably in the high single digits, uh, you know, low teens when you bundle everything together. Like you said, most people, um, when we shop, we're shopping a few different categories. Sometimes it's a one and done. I just want to get my picnic basket and move on. Other times it's, uh, you know, you're creating to check out over a course of, you know, several categories and days. So I, I, this is one of my 
subjects that I'm very much interested in because I I, I always advocate uh, that in my book there are two magic bullets for success on Amazon. If you get these right, the rest will pretty much fall in its place. First magic bullet is how do you increase the click-through rate in the search results? Because the more, the higher the click-through rate, the more people ending up on your product page. So you've got a larger audience that is pretty much captive while they are on that page. They're not looking at anything else unless they scroll down, look at the others. Uh, but they are there for a reason. So there, you know, you brought them. So how do you increase the click-through rate? Of course, there are different ways to increase it, but that's one. Uh, it starts with tracking it in the first place. Most people don't know. <laughs> so uh, that is one metric I'd like to keep on top of. The second one, and that really is the one that pretty much seals the deal in every sense of the word, and that is the conversion rate on the page, on the product page. So how do, out of the people that you brought to the page, how do you increase the conversion rate so that more and more people end up buying the item. So that's why I was questioning uh, you in, in a way that, you know, how do we get better results? And of course, result looks like a higher conversion rate. So, um, and I look for benchmarks to measure against. So I found this article says uh, industry average 12%. So when I work with my clients, I color code numbers and anything below 35%, it drops into uh, yellow and anything below 10%, it becomes red. That means they're not, that something is wrong. So you have to achieve more than 10% and then you have to achieve more than 35% if you really want to be satisfied but frankly, I say more than 50% because people have come to the page and they're looking for it. They found it. Now they have to buy it. You're not convincing them. Yeah. Figure out a way to convince. So uh, I'm told I have very high standards. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, a, you know, there's a funnel, right, with conversion. Um, so conversion rate from a detail page is going to, should be higher than a conversion rate from the time they stepped onto Amazon to shop for that picnic sure, basket. Yeah. And so when I think about conversion rate on Amazon, I'm talking about end to end. Oh, the, oh okay. Um, but yes, I do think you have a little bit of high standards. 50% is <laughs> pretty darn good. I would say, uh, uh, you know, my clients get, do get 35. Where do you think I got the 35% from? That's fantastic. No, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, I, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that that should be uh, attainable if it, it all comes back to the content, right? right. It all comes into to play. And, it, and you mentioned something earlier I thought was interesting with indexing. So when search results come out, um, just to get them to click on the detail page, you know, that's image, right? And title, absolutely. Um, sometimes if you're lucky, one of your videos that you posted will get picked up as well. Um, once you're on there, the area that doesn't get in the decks the best, except for the text descriptions I mentioned, is A-plus content. So the A-plus content is 
in my opinion, one of the number one things that leads to conversion. Um, we, when I was there, granted, this was a, a bit ago, tested and tested and tested. Uh, same page, A plus content, non A plus content. The conversion rate different was staggering. Um, and yet that is an area that gets probably underlooked because it is not considered the highest search index. So it's almost like you have to work that, that detail page in two different ways. First impression from a search, conversion, and the impression once they get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, it, 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 you can dig deeper and deeper into this and then make it better and better. And um, I don't know that if you ever get the point of diminishing return, because conversion is everything. So I don't think it, it, there is anything to diminish. So the more yeah, you do, the better. And uh, I had a guest earlier, and she was talking about brand feed. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you think about brand feed, and how does it uh, help conversion? Yeah, I, I love the features that they have introduced um, in the last uh, probably 18 months. Um, I think that a while ago, brand stores didn't matter, and now I think they're super important. Um, you see a certain... Uh, type of items you like could be like sheets. Well, what else do they have? Um, such a great way to cross sell your brand. And I also love the posts, like the ability to um, essentially utilize your own social media and leverage that inside of Amazon with the posts function. Um, so this is something that I uh, did not expect them to offer um, to sellers. I mean, they don't even offer it to, to first party vendors, but to be able to go in and, and, and show that content and post every day and have it picked up. And I'll just give you a, a little secret. Um, always use a hashtag founded on Amazon. Um, if you have a, a uh, in the wild, like um, it's a influencer you're working with, or it's your niece and she's adorable and she's using it. Um, whatever the product is, some some type of uh, social media worthy post, hashtag founded on Amazon. Um, because Amazon does look at that hashtag heavily and repurposes if it matches approved content, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll feature that in their own social media streams. Um, so uh, when you and I talked first, you mentioned the hashtag in the, so this is the hashtag you were referring to? Yes. Yeah. The found it on Amazon, but use it in the Amazon posts that you post yourself through seller central. Um, you can write a description. You can put a hashtag. Always use that one. Um, until so, they, until they realize that people are using that too much and then they decide to do something else. Right? Sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, but this is very useful. So this is for, again, for brand registry uh, sellers, yes. right? Uh, yes. They, they have this, feature called posts and inside there they should create their post and then put the hashtag founded on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Make that, make that influencer content that people, uh, you know, are paying good money for really work for you. Um, not just on, you know, TikTok and Instagram, but use it right inside of Amazon. It's very powerful. Yeah. Influencer marketing is becoming key. So I, uh, I'm sure you watch Shark Tank, right? Oh, yes. So, uh, Mr. Wonderful, was, <laughs> uh, he was, I think it was an interview that, that they had with him. 
So they asked him about the professions of today, you know, what are good jobs? And, and he was saying that, you know, if you ask me this question like 20 years ago, the answer was always doctor, engineer, lawyer, whatever. He says, today, totally different. If you are a video editor, you are a writer, or you are, a, you know, uh, an influencer. These are very high-value professions. So it's a yeah. whole different world, right? So, and also it appeals to young people, and they make money, and then they have the kind of life that, you know, totally free. They don't care about office. They don't care about work hours, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's a whole different world. So... So when you and I met, I said to you, you know, I usually bring up a question and I said, I'm going to ask you the same. And he said, oh, you know, <laughs> uh, so here is the moment. So uh, if there is one thing you could change in Amazon's policies for third party sellers, uh, what would that be? Yeah. Yeah. So um I, I've thought about that a lot when, when we first chatted too. I, I, I have to admit it's, it's a policy that I, uh, I helped write and then audited, which is called Manufacturers on Amazon, which means that if you are a branded manufacturer and um, you sell to Amazon directly, you can't also sell on Marketplace and vice versa. If you become very successful in Marketplace and Amazon wants you to sell to them first party, um, that you uh, you have to be open to doing so, or um, or potentially not, you know, be on the platform. So, so it's a very interesting um, policy. And at the time, it was to do to protect fraud, to protect um, uh, fraudulent products. And um, there is a good uh, value for the consumer for that reason. Um, but you know, I also think it's in hindsight, there's a lot of really great brands out there that would rather keep the margins that they make as a seller and not, you know, sell directly to Amazon. So that would be the one I would definitely would love to see changed. Um, and and uh, the other thing, though, after we're talking right now, another policy I'd like to see change is having uh, the search search uh, functionality more transparent. Um, I think that just like when Google changes how they're um, indexing things, they do put out a white paper so you know all the ins and outs. It's still, uh, you never know exactly when it's going to happen, but you know what, how to uh, make the changes you need to. And I think that Amazon needs to get, get on board with that. Do you think that will ever happen? No. No. So, <laughs> no. so I remember this uh, hearing. You know, I'm one of those political junkies. I watch C-SPAN all the time. So uh, one of yeah. my favorite things I watch is... Hearings, Love it. hearings, always, you know, the congressional hearings. So I remember this is long going way back when, you know, putting your credit card was a big thing on a website. So, and privacy was just starting to become a talk. So oh, yeah. they had the vice president of compliance from Amazon, the lady, uh, testify. So one of the senators said, let me get this straight. I come to your website. I put my name, my address, my credit card number, and I make a purchase. 
you have all my information. And now you're telling me I don't own that information, but you do? <laughs> Explain that to me. And you know what she said? She said, Senator, the information you submit with your order, it goes through a proprietary process before we start using it. And what comes out of that process is completely proprietary. It's the result of our intellectual property. And therefore, we have 100% ownership over it, not you. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm not surprised by the answer, though. And uh, I mean, obviously, I paraphrase, but 90% of the response was like that. And it was so academic. And so, like, you know, stop talking about things you don't understand anything about. <laughs> it was almost like a... Uh, remember the the hearing with Zuckerberg and the senators and how oh, yes. how how silly that was. I mean, just, oh yes. So um, uh, that that's how it was. Search uh, obviously is is very critical. So I, I don't see them ever releasing anything. No. Like yeah, I. It's everything's a you know a proprietary system there too. Yeah, yeah. and Amazon is a very secretive company. They don't really like to. It all stays internal. Yeah, it all stays internal. But you know, some of their best technology. One thing I do appreciate. Um, you know, they'll package that and put it into an AWS package, or try yeah. to provide tools. Um, you know, for sellers um, that they've learned from. So it it is all proprietary. But I do think that um, they they love the idea of sharing some of it because they want to have have a competitive world they want to see if somebody can take their technology and do it better yeah um not exactly take it the technology but take the um the, yeah, the utilize yeah, yeah because it's an ecosystem right it's an ecosystem so yeah um so you said something earlier i caught that and and you said it very softly uh, so you said first party seller what you're talking about is amazon making the purchase and amazon becoming a vendor to a brand yes. so that's what first party is. And, it, and at the same time, you very softly said, otherwise they may lose the, the opportunity to sell. So what you are talking about is, if let's say I come along and I build this brand on Amazon, it becomes wildly successful and I'm using FBA, nevertheless, you know, so Amazon is obviously making money. So what you're telling me is according to the policy you wrote or you helped write, <laughs> Amazon can come to me and say, hey, Nick, you know, we like your product so much. We want to give you a purchase order. We want you to stop selling directly. Now, from now on, we will buy from you. And I say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm doing okay. They can say to me, in that case, you are out. Is that it? That's the general gist of it. Um, it, it it's uh, usually more for really for people who already have been selling to them as a first party uh-huh. that um, realize, Hey, if I, but if I sell in marketplace, I make more margin. And so they create a fictitious name and start selling under that name instead. Um, and in some cases, this has been approved. There are large uh, shoe brands that I, I've worked with that, that created a, 
a smaller entity to sell a marketplace to kind of move through things that were no longer in season. And they just needed to retain some margin because they're going to be taking a hit on it. Sure. Um, and in those cases, uh, that's perfectly fine. It just needs to be declared. Um, but if you were a company that um, worked with Amazon uh, and they wanted to bring you on as a vendor and you said no, um, and this uh, it has happened, then there could be a, a splitting of the relationship altogether, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, I definitely want that change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's unfair. Um, it's unfair. It's not. Okay. It's not fair. Well, I tell you, this was great. Uh, knowledge, yeah, you helped me acquire, I tell you. This one I didn't know. Um, yeah. So uh, let's now learn a little bit about you. So tell me, where, um, you, you live in Seattle, I assume, right? Yes, I do live in Seattle. Is that where you grew up? No, I grew up. Um, I grew up in New England, um, and uh, my shoe history has followed me throughout my entire life. Uh, my folks had uh, shoe stores um, in the uh, in the New England area, and so I grew. I grew up uh, working at the age of five, straightening shoes and and, and pricing boxes. <laughs> so this was family business. Your family was entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So is that why you followed in the footsteps? Uh, I actually did a lot of rebelling in college not to follow in the footsteps, but um, the the punchline is uh, that I ended up exactly loving working in shoes. <laughs> um, and uh, I can't I can't walk past a shoe display that's like uh, not organized without wanting to go and fix something to this but day. i mean they come on the interest in shoes as a woman i mean it, that, that doesn't strike <laughs> me as on the, on the yeah absolutely i mean in a, in a in a sense um my parents just enabled that even further uh which uh, have a, a, a ridiculous shoe collection today um much to the to the chagrin of my husband <laughs> <laughs> so uh when you say you rebelled against it, you you rebelled because you know we all rebel. Oh, I yeah, I just I didn't want to um, do exactly as I was uh, you know encouraged to do. Like uh, I decided, I was much more interested in in people and cultures and went an anthropology route, um, where my father would have much preferred I went business route. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it kind of became a perfect marriage of of what I learned growing up my whole life, watching him as a, as a retailer, him and my mother and understanding buying behaviors because I studied uh, like societies and how people work and relate and, and have that, like that you mentioned emotional connection to something. Um, and you put that together with the digital world coming up uh, at the time I was graduating college and it all um, came together in a, in a very real way. So when what what was the the catalyst for you to actually turn from rebelling against what the family wanted the, to totally embracing it and actually getting good at it? What was that turn? When when? Uh, yeah, I think it was the job market at the time. To be quite honest, I I moved to a different state, and I uh, there was one fashion company called Chico's in that that area. And I walked in with my resume with most of it being about, 
yeah, I spent um, all this time in my whole life working in in retail and and buying next to you know side by side with my dad planning and buying and, and uh, being a merchant. Um, I with a little bit of like, and I also spent you know a semester abroad uh, on sites, but it was it was uh, happenstance. They said, oh, hold on one second, and brought um, who, somebody who became one of my favorite mentors um, from the merchant team. And, and, uh, and then I worked with them. I hired on the spot after uh, an hour of an interview. So was that's, it that's uh, 2000 for you right there? So, so after you started working there, was it like your realization of, Oh my God, I've been fighting this thing all this time. You know, I, I should have done this earlier or was it like yeah. gradual? It was not gradual. I, I actually kicked myself why I wasn't studying this th- for the four years prior. Um, and and also I was given an opportunity during um, a huge uh, ERP change um, to start working with the technology team. And uh, I was uh, this me, this subject matter expert for merchandising. And uh, and then they kept me. They didn't let me leave. And that's when I first got to work in, in true e-com development. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you reminded me of a, a favorite story of mine. Uh, you know, he's now dead. Uh, Tim Russell. You remember Tim Russell? Yeah. So uh, I, I loved uh, when he passed away, my Sundays changed forever. I totally lost mm-hmm. <laughs> its taste. But uh, he tells this story when he worked for Senator, former Senator Patrick Moynihan. And uh, he was from, you know, he was a lawyer. He graduated law school, Buffalo University. And he goes to work for Senator Moynihan. And all these Ivy League graduates waiting to be interviewed. So he takes one look at them. And, you know, Tim Russell, totally humble. And says, I stand no chance against these guys. So anyway, the Senator takes note notice of this so he has his interview and everything and uh, so he goes up to him and he says so what do you think how do you think you did and he goes i don't stand a chance against these guys and i said why do you say that so, oh, i believe i'm just from buffalo university the the son of a, a, a former janitor or whatever and uh so he goes walk with me so they go out and he says, you know, don't discount yourself. He says, what they know, you can learn. But what you know, they will never know. So I love that story. don't discount yourself. So my point is, what you knew all along, it cannot right. be taught. It came natural. And you found your place and, you know, systems and everything else you can tack on. They are just accessories, but you have it in your DNA to do this business, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I love it. I, um, it. It's such a beautiful thing to find something that you've known for so long and still be and be very passionate about it. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Danny. This was a great conversation. And uh, so tell us uh, how people can uh, reach out to you, uh, connect with you, give us your contact information. We'll put this on our website and it will get pushed out with the episode. But uh, give us your contact info here. Absolutely. Well, you can definitely reach me on um, LinkedIn. It's uh, at Danette-May. 
Um, so that's uh, probably the best way. Anyone who would want to get in contact, I'm very um, good about responding on LinkedIn. I won't ghost you. <laughs> uh, I know I know how disciplined Amazon people are, so I, yeah, I won't do that. <laughs> great, thank you, Danny. I uh, I really appreciate it. This was a great conversation. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, Nick. I appreciate you having me on. Oh yeah, anytime. And that brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.